You're listening to Comedy Central. What is Christmas without money changing hands? Think about it. Imagine Santa's coming to your house to do what? Just eat cookies and tell you he was there. The whole point is he's delivering the gifts. The gifts are bought with money. Christmas is a celebration of capitalism. Jesus, when he was born, what did the people do? They brought gifts. Didn't come there empty-handed, because they were wise men. They knew. You come there like a broke-ass bitch. Oh, the son of God has been born. What did you bring? Oh, I didn't think I needed to bring anything. (laughs) No, it's the other way around. Christmas is all about giving. First thing you do is you give things to people. They brought in the most expensive gifts as well. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Things that a baby can use. (laughs) It's not about that, it's about an investment. You buy them shit that they can use like later on in life. I'm sick of people buying babies baby things. Babies can't use baby things. Oh, I bought you a, like a jumper, like they buy like a onesie. The child has outgrown it in two months. Buy kids functional things. I buy babies Bitcoin. <laughs> That's what I do. If your baby gets born, your baby's got Bitcoin. Yeah, you can thank me in 20 years. Coming to you from the heart of Times Square in New York City, the only city in America. It's The Daily Show, Ears edition. Tonight, COVID ain't playing. Kwanzaa is coming. And Jody Turner Smith. This is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to The Daily Show. I'm Trevor Noah. Let's jump straight into today's headlines. We kick things off with Omicron. It's the reason Santa ain't coming into your house this year. You can find your gifts in the front yard. Today, Dr. Fauci announced that three doses of the current vaccines offer good enough protection against Omicron that as of now, we don't need any new Omicron-specific vaccines. And that, my friends, is great news. You know, it's like finding out that your old charger works with your new phone. And this is actually good news for anti-vaxxers because that means like your old conspiracy theories will work for Omicron too. Yeah, you don't have to think of new conspiracy theories because that shit is hard. Be like, ah, oh, this, this new Omicron vaccine is gonna uh, make your blood uh, gay? Oh man, this is hard. But just because the current vaccines seem effective doesn't mean that Omicron isn't turning into a big problem. You see, the CDC says that it could soon lead to a major COVID wave in America. And it looks like when it comes to America's sports leagues, that wave is already here. Professional sports are being hit hard by a surge in COVID cases. A league source tells CNN that 28 NFL players tested positive yesterday. That's in addition to 37 players testing positive on Monday. The two-day total more than doubles the number of cases in previous two weeks. The NHL postponing its ninth game this season because of multiple players testing positive. And in the NBA, plethora of players will miss time as a result of being placed in the league's health and safety protocols. 31 players are on the list, according to CBS Sports, including Buck star Giannis Antetokounmpo, the reigning finals MVP. He'll be out for tonight's game against the Pacers. In Brooklyn, the Nets, they were nearly forced to cancel their matchup with the Raptors. Seven players in the NBA's health and safety protocols, including superstar James Harden. They had the league minimum eight players available for this game. Almost nobody on the Brooklyn bench tonight at Barclays Center. Look at that. Oh, no, not this shit again, guys. Not this shit again! I mean, you remember what happened last time, right? One week, we were all like, huh, Lots of NBA players getting COVID. And then the next week, we're all at home, showering with our Amazon packages. I mean, so many players in the NBA are getting COVID right now that they're gonna have to change the logo. In fact, there's so many players who have COVID that I actually feel bad for all the players who don't have it. 
Because, I mean, that's one hell of a way to find out that everyone on the team was hanging out without you. The one thing I don't think they should be doing is canceling games. Yeah, I said it, because everyone hates it. And I get that the teams barely have any players left, but, like, just make them play anyway. I mean, I don't know about you, but I would watch the hell out of a basketball game that was one on five. Can you imagine watching a football team where the quarterback has no one to protect him? (laughs) What? The Giants already do that? Wow, that doesn't seem safe. In fact, this might end up being great for the fans. Because you, you know how deep down inside, when you're at a game, you always hope, you always hope secretly that the coach is gonna look up into the stands and be like, hey, we need you to help us win this game. I mean, that's the real reason people wear jerseys, you know? You gotta be prepared. Well, now, everyone is so short on players, that might actually happen. Although knowing how quickly Omicron spreads, it'll probably be like, hey, you, come help us win. Just get a quick COVID test and he can come in. What? Oh, he's also got Omicron. Ah, look at you, loser. Yeah, you suck. You got Omicron and you don't play basketball. I'll tell you what I'm not looking forward to, though, is hearing what the old timers have to say about this at the barbershop, because you know they're gonna go in. Man, NBA players these days are soft. Patrick Ewing would never let Omicron spike proteins penetrate his cellular membranes. She. But let's move on from corona to something else that goes off to your body without permission. Andrew Cuomo. Back when he was governor, Cuomo took a break from getting people in nursing homes killed to write a book about how brilliantly he was handling the pandemic. And that book made him very, very rich. At least until now. Former New York Governor Andrew Cuomo is facing new troubles this morning. A state ethics panel ruled that Cuomo must now repay $5.1 million that he earned from a book that he wrote during the COVID-19 pandemic. That book was a memoir on the handling of the pandemic. The panel determined Cuomo used state resources and government staffers to help prepare that book, even though his lawyer previously said otherwise. The $5 million bill must be repaid by next month, but uh, some of those funds have already been donated to charity and also added in a trust for his daughters. Oh, well, I mean, if the money's in a trust fund for your adult daughters, just keep that. But the money to charity? Well, he's gonna have to give that back. I actually feel bad for the charities, though. I mean, losing that money right before Christmas. I'm sorry, orphans. No presents this year because Governor Cuomo used the office printer. I know, I know. But yes, Cuomo may have to give back all $5 million of his book money, which is fine by me. I mean, I don't understand why politicians are writing books while they're in office in the first place. You're just kind of flaunting how you got distracted with a side gig. Honestly, between being governor and writing this book, it's a wonder that he found time to sexually harass anyone at all. You know, the bigger issue here for me, actually, when I think about it, is like the money shouldn't go back to the government just because he used government resources. No, the money should go back because he wasn't doing the thing. If you write a book about a thing that you weren't doing, then you shouldn't get the money for the book because it wasn't real. If we found out that the person who wrote the Kama Sutra was a virgin, I'd be like, yo, yo, money back, all the money back. You were just, no wonder, you know, no one's legs goes like that. Just made this shit up. You're just making the, you just like, yeah, you put your legs and then the other legs. I, I had a hernia because of your shit, man. Anyway, let's move on. For the last few months, we've been talking about how millions of people around the country have been quitting their dead-end jobs to pursue their true passions. Yeah, you might find this hard to believe, but most people's dream job is not being berated by a customer at Applebee's. So, people are quitting to write that screenplay or start that small business or, or whatever their dream is. And one enterprising young woman 
is making headlines for selling something that everyone else gives away for free. Reality star Stephanie Motto of 90 Day Fiancé has gone viral in a TikTok where she claims to have earned over $90,000 selling her farts in a jar for $500 each. Hey guys, today I'm going to be showing you a day in the life of a girl who sells her farts in a jar. So I like to get things rolling with some beans, a protein muffin, sometimes even a yogurt, less sugar is better, some hard-boiled eggs. While I wait for those farts to develop, I like to read. I'm very smart, love to read. And then after I'm ready to go, I go ahead and, you know, do my work, do my job. I don't need to show you that, guys, but I like to add in little flower petals. I feel like they attach the scent and make it last longer. And when I'm finally finished with my jar, I like to leave a personalized note. Hmm, the smell of success. America truly is the greatest country in the world. And props to this woman, props to her for making that money. And look, no, this isn't the carbon capture technology we were hoping for. But I guess if everyone did it, we could solve climate change. Yeah, why didn't you think of this, Greta? Now look, I know a lot of people will see this story and wonder who the hell is blowing hundreds of dollars on a fart, but I mean, it's no dumber than NFTs. People are dropping millions of dollars on things that don't even exist. At least with a fart jar, you get to keep the jar. So I'm not gonna judge anybody for buying one of these jars. You are into what you're into. What I will say I am confused about is what you actually do with the fart jar once you have it. Like, do you open the jar right away and just get one hit? Or do you keep it in its packaging forever like a collectible? Or do you keep it for a few years and then open it on a special occasion? Just like, hey honey, great news, I finally got that promotion. How about we celebrate with a jar of Chateau de Pou? It's 2021, it was a great year. Everyone was stuck inside, powerful farts. The only thing that bothers me about this is how expensive the farts are. I mean, for $500? Shit, that jar better work like a large Coke at the cinema. Every time I bring it back, I better get a free refill. Do the thing, lady, do the thing. Yo, cause at $500 a fart, there's gonna be a lot of people out there who can't afford to buy a fart of their own. I don't care what anybody says, that's not right. The fact is, people, fart inequality is a growing issue right now. And it affects millions of people around the world. Which is why if you can, I'm asking you to consider donating to the International Flatulence Fund. Because nobody should have to deal with the shame and embarrassment of telling their children that there will be no farts under the Christmas tree this year. Thank you. When we come back, Dulce Sloan takes a look at a holiday you might have forgotten, but... Welcome back to The Daily Show. We all know the sights of the holiday season. Christmas trees, menorahs, frat guys in Santa costumes passed out in their own puke. But you might also see one of these. What is it? Well, Dulce Sloan explains in another episode of Dulce-in. Twas the night before Kwanzaa and all through the house, everybody was asking, what is this holiday all about? Kwanzaa, it's the holiday your white friends think your black friends celebrate. But if you'd like to know more about it, I'm happy to tell you. Starting on December 26, black families gather for seven days to honor their African heritage and celebrate the values of the black community, like unity, self-determination, and Beyonce. 
and some think Kwanzaa has ancient roots, and it does. If you think doing the mashed potato smoking menthols on a shag rug is ancient. Because Kwanzaa was actually created in 1966 by Molana Karenga. He was a black nationalist leader who changed his birth name from Ronald because no one wants to celebrate something invented by a guy named Ronald. You could even be my best friend. If your name's Ronald, I'm not even coming to your birthday party. After seeing the 1965 riots in LA, Karenga wanted a way for African Americans to honor their African roots and reaffirm their cultural connections. So he created Kwanzaa, naming the holiday after the Swahili phrase, Matunda Ya Kwanzaa, which means first fruit. And then adding an extra egg. Reminds me of when I'd copy someone's homework, but change it a little bit so the teacher didn't know I cheated. Karenga studied a variety of African tribes, pulled from their traditions, and added a thing about candles, because candles were on sale at Bed Bath & Beyond. Each night of Kwanzaa, a candle is lit that represents a different principle. Unity, umoja. Self-determination, kuji, mm, kuji, mm, kuji chagalia, whoo. Hey man, I don't know these words, I'm trying, all right? Collective work and responsibility, ujima. Cooperative economics, ujama. Purpose, nia. Creativity, kumba. Faith, imani. On Imani, the seventh night, people exchange gifts, and the gifts are often handmade. Why? Because Kwanzaa's meant to stand against the commercialism of Christmas, and because handmade gifts are much harder to re-gift. At first, Kwanzaa had a hard time catching on, in part because there's a lot of holiday competition during this time of year. Christmas, Hanukkah, the Lexus December to Remember sales event. Also because seven days is a lot of time to spend with family. Even Jesus could only take three days in heaven with his dad before he came back to earth because he needed a break. It also didn't help that Karenga himself wasn't the best dude. He spent some time in prison for abusing women. If Santa went to prison for smacking around Mrs. Claus and then tried to come down my chimney, Rudolph wouldn't be the only one with a red nose. Kwanzaa didn't pick up steam until the late 70s when the black middle class began to grow and suburban black parents wanted to connect their children to their heritage. And of course, or there's black people with money, there's companies pretending to care about black culture. So like every other major holiday, soon Kwanzaa became commercialized. The dream! Beer advertisements, Power Rangers, cell phone commercials, Sesame Street, even white ladies on the Food Network making Kwanzaa cakes. Ugh, at least I think that's a cake. That looks like something you make when you're drunk at 4 a.m. Point is, Kwanzaa had arrived. 30 years after its first celebration, 10 million Americans were celebrating Kwanzaa. Even the U.S. government acknowledged it. Bill Clinton made the first presidential declaration marking the holiday, although I bet he was just trying to get another invite to Arsenio. And the U.S. Postal Service even commissioned a Kwanzaa stamp. Check it out. It's the closest thing we're gonna get to reparations. But Kwanzaa's moment in the sun didn't last long. After the 90s, interest in the holiday declined and now only 4% of Americans celebrate it, which to me just reflects the changing of the times. Younger black people don't feel the need to have a holiday to affirm their blackness when black culture is way more visible and easy to engage with nowadays. There's black Twitter, Black Panther, slick down baby hairs, and honestly, Kwanzaa is a complicated holiday. It's got a problematic beginning and can sometimes come off as African cosplay. But on the other hand, it brings families together, centers the black experience, and is an excuse to have some good food. Ugh, not you. But maybe the best part of Kwanzaa is, whether you celebrate it or not, you can pretend to celebrate it. 
so my white friends will buy me gifts. Ha ha! Habarigani, y'all! Siri, what does Habarigani mean? Oh, she a white lady, she don't know. Thank you so much, Dulce. All right, when we come back, the star of the new show, Anne Boleyn, Jody Turner-Smith, will be joining me in the studio. So don't go away. Welcome back to The Daily Show. My guest tonight is actor Jody Turner-Smith. She's here to talk about portraying Anne Boleyn in the new miniseries that chronicles her final days. Jody Turner-Smith, <laughs> welcome to the show. <laughs> How you doing? I'm wonderful. Um, you, you, you're, you're much friendlier than, than you appear in the show. Um, but welcome to it. It's, it's good to have you here. Like many people, I became a fan of yours because of Queen and Slim. And here you are now playing another queen, Your Majesty, <laughs> uh, but a very different kind of queen. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, about the journey that you've been on. What's it been like? It's so funny. Everyone always says, like, 10-year overnight success. Right, right. Because <laughs> right? you're there, like, working away, and nobody sees it, and then they see you, and then suddenly it's like, oh, you're here, and it happens so quickly. For them, it's overnight, yeah. Yeah, but even once it happens, it happens. I mean, I was so blessed to get that movie. I mean, Queen and Slim changed my life. So I just try to work really hard and, and hope to learn something yes. from everybody that I'm with because I understand that I have so much to learn and I'm just growing and it just feels like the world is my oyster and that feels really nice. It really is. It really is because of like everything that you're doing. Like you inspire people in your personal life just like by being you. You know, for those who are fans of Dawson's Creek, they know who your husband is <laughs> yes. and you know, congratulations, you have a five month old? Yes. No, she's 20 months old Wait, now. she's 20 months old? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, when, why did I think it was five months? Because, so I did Anne Boleyn when she was five months. That's why. That's when I went back. So that's what's sticking in your head. Oh, that's what it but is. But she's 20 months. I mean, look, just the way that you're like, what? <laughs> I feel the same way. I'm just like so shocked that she's that age. So if you were, if, you're, if your daughter was five months old when you were, when you were taping this now, this, this is a very like painful story. You know, for those who aren't familiar with Anne Boleyn, you, you have this monarch who in many ways was defined by her lack of ability to, to birth a male heir. And, and, you know, in the series, we see her struggling with miscarriages. We see her struggling with, you know, with giving birth to a stillborn. Like, it's, it's, it's a really painful journey to be on. Do you think that you being a new mom helped you bring, like, a different understanding to the role that you were playing? I mean, definitely. I mean... It's certain nuances that I think I definitely took into Anne Boleyn because, uh -huh. I mean, I just, it's just so specific to, to that knowledge that suddenly you get tapped into when you have that. And then obviously as an artist and as an actor, you then imagine further to a place that you've never existed in, right, which is like right. some, many of the situations that Anne was in, you know, and think about like, what does the, the experience that I've been through, like what does that add to, what I think this story means or is or any sort of truth that I'm trying to get to when I, you know, give a performance. I love that the clip you guys chose for the show was like one of the really bitchy scenes. <laughs> well, you, well, you know what? Okay, maybe, maybe that's, that's something that we should talk about then is like <gasps> Anne Boleyn and, and I think many other, you know, famous women in history, especially in like in royal terms, have always been defined as one thing, defined yeah. as one thing or the other. They go like, you're the Madonna, you're the whore. Yeah. You know, you, you, you Women you're, in general, whether right. they're famous, it's just like, it's, yeah. And so you, you have this character where you've, you've got to portray her in a way that I think a lot of us have never seen her. 
on the one hand, she can be this queen. On the other hand, she can be at the mercy of a king. When you're playing a character like that, and when you're thinking of her as a woman and as a human being, what do you think a lot of people didn't know about Anne Boleyn that maybe you even learned about when playing the character? I mean, you know, one of the most interesting things to me about her was that, because we, we feel like we know so much about her. We've seen her played so many times and yes. like she's endlessly fascinating. And the reality is, is we don't actually have a record of her in her own words. You know, like everything. Like at all? Like wow. literally, except for like, you know, this little, that little inscription that she wrote in her book of hours, you know, that said, the time will come, I, Anne Boleyn. There's no letters from her to Henry. There's no diaries. There's no, there's no like record of really what she was thinking and feeling. Yeah. You know, so everything is speculation, which I think is so fascinating ultimately, because it's just like, we've never, when telling her story, sort of focused on how her past would have influenced the woman that she was. Mm. You know, I mean, she was in her girlhood around powerful women, mm -hmm. queens, mm -hmm. you know, in the French court, rubbing elbows with like the most important thinkers of the time, philosophers, artists. Like, of course she would be inspired by that and feel like she had this greatness that she wanted to bring back to England and like infuse into everything that she was doing. I love that. When you when you played the character, I mean, you've gotten great reviews for your portrayal of Anne Boleyn. What was sad to see was, uh, you know, people who were angry, like really racist. I mean, this is the best way to put it. They were just like, wow, how, how can you? You should never be playing Anne Boleyn. You're black. And <laughs> yeah. it's, it, I was surprised that this was happening, especially in the UK, because, I mean, like, let's say Shakespeare. Everybody's played Shakespeare in every way, shape or form. Sometimes even like the genders have shifted, yeah. et cetera. Um, you know, with Hamilton, that really switched up everyone's ideas of how you could cast. But but you seem like you took that in your stride. You, you Were you shaken up by that? Or, or, or did you have a different perspective on like, no, I'm playing Anne Boleyn, and yes, no other black person has ever played her, but, but I am and I can. I mean, of course I was shaken up by it because I care. So hmm. as much as, you know, you try to separate yourself from the things that are toxic and the things that don't really serve you in your artistry. Like, I mean, I care and I'm a caring and feeling person. So, you know, it definitely is something where it's like when people have a strong reaction, they and, and you know, they're not afraid to. Oh, yeah, no, no. Let you know. People are very strong on the Internet. Very, very strong. <laughs> you know, I'll they, tell you that. they will come to find you <laughs> to let you know exactly how they feel. Um, so, yeah. And I mean, it's it's intense. But the hope is that. There are some people who it makes uncomfortable who will watch it anyway and watch it for the human story that we were trying to tell and see what resonates differently for them because they're just looking at it with it. They're looking at it out of the frame of reference of race and more just about like, this is a human woman and, and we all share these experiences in life. I mean, as human beings, there mm. is no divide between emotion. You know, we've all experienced hurt and fear and loss and pain and ambition and desire and love. And so it's like, it's really just trying to tell a story about that. And, and just to say, like, we knew that Anne Boleyn was not a, white, a black woman. Uh, we were not trying to say that she was. I just want to, just, just to say. You didn't discover this on the first day. Yeah. Wait, what? I know Anne Boleyn was not black. Oh, man. You hide it here first. Oh, Jody, this has been so much fun having you. Um, congratulations on everything. Um, I, like I say, I, your journey is just beginning. Thank you for allowing us to be part of that. And uh, congratulations on a fantastic portrayal. Thank you. And thank you for having me. Always. All right, Anne Boleyn is available exclusively on AMC Plus with new episodes streaming on Thursdays. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back after this.
Well, that's our show for tonight. But before we go, last weekend, a series of tornadoes ravaged six states and dozens of towns across the central United States. The Global Empowerment Mission are on the ground in Kentucky and they need your help. So if you can please donate to their Kentucky Fund at the link below, you'll be helping to support all of the communities who are directly impacted by what happened. Until tomorrow, stay safe out there, get your vaccine, and remember, never be ashamed if you fought in front of someone else. You'd be ashamed that you didn't charge them for it. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central, and stream full episodes anytime on Paramount+. Plus. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.